We started into a new series last week talking about friends of sinners. If you missed that message, let me encourage you. It's up there on our website on livechurch.ie. You'll find it there in our past messages. You'll also find it on our Facebook page or on our YouTube channel on Alive Church Ireland. You'll find it there as well. Uh, go back and listen to it. It's, it's a, a good message that God gave us talking about uh, friend of sinners. So today I want to continue in that series. And in Jesus' day himself, the religious leaders, they gave Jesus a name. Now it wasn't a complimentary name. It was meant to be an insult. They called him the friend of sinners. You know what annoys me so much? When I see some Christian leaders and all that they do seemingly in their ministry is criticize other Christian leaders in churches. It happens so much today. And it happened in Jesus' day as well. And there was this one day that Jesus was lamenting how the religious leaders of his day referred to him and John the Baptist. And he said in Matthew chapter 11, he said, For John came neither eating nor drinking. They said he had a demon. The Son of Man came eating and drinking. And they said, look, a glutton and a wine-bibber, a friend of tax collectors and sinners, but wisdom is justified by her children. And they called Jesus this friend of sinners because, not because they thought he was a great guy, because he went to the places that they wouldn't go, down to where the sinners were and the tax collectors and the like. They didn't call him that because they, they, they thought he was a good guy, but they wanted to be little Jesus. They wanted people who come around Jesus to, to think, oh, he hangs around with sinners? I'm not going to hang around with him. It's kind of like they wanted to portray that he kind of had a, a stench off him. Don't hang around him because he hangs around sinners. They wanted to discourage people from following him. You know, everywhere Jesus went in his ministry, he was followed by thousands of people with thousands of different issues and problems. But every st step that he, he took he was also followed by the religious critics. You know, the ones in his day that never missed an opportunity to have a pop at him or an attack at him? They followed him everywhere he went. Every step that he took in his ministry, no matter where he was, no matter what he did, he could turn around and he was sure that one of these Pharisees or religious people was, was hanging around him. They weren't there to see how good Jesus was. They weren't there to report back to the synagogue of the great things that he was doing. They were there to pick holes in what he did. They were there to watch everything that he did, every word that he said, they analyzed. They didn't think, oh, he just said something absolutely amazing. They always thought that, oh, listen, he said such and such. He said this and he said that. They were always, they, they weren't ready to pick up on the good things he said. They were ready to pick up on, on the things that they didn't like that he said and criticize him at that point. The unfortunate thing is that we still have these Pharisees, or as I like to call them today, parasites, still hanging around the church today. People who don't have a ministry themselves or believe that their ministry is a ministry for pointing out the problems with other churches and ministries. These people who get up on a Monday morning, the first thing that they do is they head for YouTube or they head for Facebook, and they type in criticism of Joel Osteen. And they troll down through all of the different critics that's out there for the likes of Joel Osteen or, or the likes of Stephen Furtick or whoever. They don't ever listen to... Listen, I had a guy one time come to me. And he said, I, I think you like Joel Osteen. I said, well, I don't dislike Joel Osteen. I think he's a good guy. He said, Joel Osteen is, is a false teacher, he said to me. 
I said, what makes you say that? He said, but everywhere I look, he said, I read things about Joel Osteen. He says this, and he says that, and he says the other. In his books, he says this. I said, did you ever read one of his books? He said, no. I said, okay, did you ever listen to one of his messages? He said, no, I wouldn't listen to that. I said, and you stand there in front of me, and you say he does all of this stuff, and you've never, ever listened to him, nor you've never watched him, nor you have never read one of his books. I mean, listen, how stupid is that? How could you criticize a restaurant if you've never been to a restaurant? How can you criticize a person who stands in ministry if you've never been ministered to from him? Is that right? We still have these Pharisees today. And all they do is they go around criticizing other churches and other ministries. Not knowing why they do what they do. Not knowing why they say what they say or the way that they say it. They just criticize them because they don't like the way that they do it. The religious leaders in Jesus' day, they looked at Jesus and the fact that he hung out with tax collectors and prostitutes and other sinners and, and, and lepers and all of this sort of stuff. And they criticized him in that. They never taught to look to why he done the things that he did. They never looked behind the scenes. Why is he talking to tax collectors? Why is he hanging out with prostitutes and sinners? All they thought about is, how could a religious man hang out with people like this? Matthew chapter 9, verse 12 says, On hearing this, Jesus said, It is not the healthy who need the doctor, but the sick. But go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. For I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. Jesus was saying to healthy people, they don't need a doctor. I've come to set up a field hospital for the sick, for the sinners. We've got to be so careful as Christians not to be too quick to criticize other churches or other ministries just because they don't do church or ministry the way we do them. Just because they don't look the same way as we look. Just because you don't like their style. Wouldn't it be so boring if all churches looked the same as this? It would be. I love my church. I love the way we do things, but you know what? If I went someplace else to church on a Sunday, if I was away on holidays or something like that, and they'd done everything the same as we do, I'd be kind of bored. I'd like to see someone doing it differently. Wouldn't it be boring if every restaurant was the same, looked the same, cooked the same food? Imagine every restaurant was McDonald's. I mean, we'd all either be 50 stone or twiggies. Amen? That's why we pray for other churches in our town, in our county, in our nation. That's why we pray for them. Because we know that in everyone's eyes here in Enniscorthy in County of Wexford, we're not their cup of tea. Some people won't like the way we do church. But they may like the way someone else does church. And that's okay. You'll never hear us criticize another church or ministry. We won't do it. Because we don't know what the why they do the thing is behind the why they do it. There's always a reason for everything. You know, when we built our house 16 years ago, whenever it was, I went out and I employed people to do every stage of the building. I got an architect. I got a, a, a person to draw up the plans. I got a person to do 
the foundations, got a person to put in the paths, I got a person to do the blocks, got a, I got every stage of the house I got someone to do. You know why? I didn't know what I was doing. I'm not a clue, never built a house before. Sometimes I would go in, in the early days when they were clearing the site, and I would be like, you know, why are they doing that? Why do they clear all of that rubble off? And then why do they put that down? You know, I asked, not because I questioned why they were doing it, because I, I just wanted to know. Not because I thought they were doing the wrong thing, but I just wanted to know the reason behind it. If other churches or other ministries do things differently than the way we do it, it's okay to wonder why they do it, but not question why they do it and think that they're doing it wrong because they don't do it the way we do it. Amen? All ministry is not the same. Amen? Mark chapter 9, verse 38 says, Now John said to Jesus, Teacher, we saw someone who does not follow us casting out demons in your name, and we forbade him because he does not follow us. But Jesus said, Do not forbid him, for the one who works a miracle in my name can soon, in my name can soon, can soon afterwards speak, speak evil of me. For he who is not against us is on our side. What was Jesus saying here? He was saying that just because they don't use the same version of Bible as you do. Amen. Amen. Just because they don't dress the same way as you dress or sing the same songs as you sing or maybe even sing the same styles of song that you sing. Just because they teach a different way than you teach doesn't mean that they're not doing the same work as you are. Amen. Amen. As Christians, we need to have the same attitude that Jesus had. If they're not against us, then they are for us. We may not all look the same or like the same type of music, but they are, if they are preaching that Jesus is the only way to heaven and that everybody needs a personal relationship with him, then we need to support him rather than criticize him. When Jesus walked the earth, People had many names for him, and one of the names they had for him was Friend of Sinners. And isn't that so countercultural for us today, isn't it? Because I don't know about you, I believe most people here probably have at least one social media account, whether that be Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram. I believe most people do. If you don't, fair play to you. I hate them all. But I believe most people are connected in some way. And I know the goal of being on Facebook or any of these other platforms is to gain friends and i know it's an unspoken thing but but most people want to gain friends of influence nobody wants to know johnny nobody amen you get a friend request in if you get two friend requests in right i think there's a maximum i think you can get a maximum of 3999 friends on facebook i think after that nowhere near it by the way I think after that, you have to start a page kind of a thing. You can no longer be just friends. You have to ask people to join your page. So I think if any of us here were on 3,999 uh, friends and you opened up your page and you had two friend requests and you knew you could only cho choose one of them, one of them was Johnny Nobody and the other one was Lena Messi, I guarantee you two to one that every one of us 
probably every person in Ireland, probably even Johnny Nobody's mother, would pick Lionel Messi over Johnny. <laughs> yeah. But Jesus wouldn't. Amen? Jesus wouldn't. See, nobody wants to be friends with a nobody. Everybody wants to be friends with the rich and famous on social media. But not Jesus. Jesus went out of his way to make friends with the nobodies. He, he went out of his way to make friends with the sinners of his day. And so should we. Not to lord it over them. To show them how much better we are than they are. But to show them the love and acceptance of the Lord Jesus Christ. No matter who they are. Or what they have done. But what we have done for years is we've judged the book by the cover, haven't we? And, and that's me. When I go into a, a bookshop, and that's not very often, if I look through the books, I, I, and I don't always go for the most academic book. I, 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 if there's a book there with a black cover and just a couple of... I'm normally not interested. But if you have a picture on the front of it, and if the picture looks interesting, I, I might take it off the shelf and have a look at it. But haven't we done that for years with people? Haven't we looked at people for years and knowing them, judged them right there and then? We judge them by their appearance. We judge them by the color of their skin or their ethnicities. Haven't we judged people by their accents and how they speak, by the clothes that they wear? We've done it for years. Every one of us has done it for years. But we need to stop. Amen? We need to stop judging people by how they look or where they're from or, or what they've done. Whether they're a good person, nice person, wearing a suit and a tie or whether, whether they're wearing ripped jeans and a smelly old t-shirt. Whether they have long hair or no hair. Whether they're black or white or whatever they look like. We need to stop judging people by their appearance. Whether they're the nicest person in the town or whether they're the biggest drug dealer in the region. We need to treat all people the same. Because that's what Jesus would have done, wouldn't he? Jesus would have treated the drug dealer the very same way as he would have treated the chief priest. And we need to do the same. Because that's what we're called to do. Go into all of the world, to every creature. Every creature. Every person. No matter where they're from, who, who they are. Even Kilkenny people and Waterford people, God has called us to minister to. It's a local joke. Every creature. No matter who they are. We've got to stop judging them. We've got to start looking at them through Jesus' eyes. And when Jesus looked on me, when he looked on you, in your sin, on your worst day, he loved you. When nobody else could love you, not even your mom, he still loved you. And he still reached out to you. Amen? Amen. Jesus went out of his way to make friends with the people that nobody else wanted, and so should we. There was this one day that Jesus was ministering to people, and he said to his apostles, let's go over to the other side of the lake. 
See, everywhere Jesus went, he, he had purpose in mind. There's no place Jesus was that he went, why am I here? He always went with purpose, no matter where he went. And when Jesus said this day, let's go over to the other side, he was talking about going over the other side of the Sea of Galilee, he was going over to the Gentiles on the other side. And Jesus' purpose this day was to release a man who had been ostracized from his community, bound up with chains. People in his own hometown had locked him out and put a guard on him to make sure they didn't bother him anymore. And Jesus this day said to his disciples, we got to go over to the other side of the lake because I've got to encounter someone who needs me. Luke chapter 8, it says in verse 25, it says, then they sailed to the country of the Gadarenes, which was opposite Galilee. And when Jesus stepped out on the land, there met him a certain man from the city who had, a, who had demons a long time. And he wore no clothes, nor did he live in a house, but he lived in the tombs. When he saw Jesus, he cried out and fell down before him and shouted out with a loud voice. He says, what have I to do with you, Jesus, son of the most high God? I beg you, do not torment me. For he had commanded the unclean spirits to come out of the man. For he'd often seized him, and he was kept under guard and bound up with chains and shackles. And he broke the bounds and was driven out by the demons into the wilderness. I think, when I read this, I think that every one of us, if we'd have been in that scene that day, if we'd encountered what Jesus encountered that day, every one of us would have jumped right back into the boat told the apostles to pedal like hell, as it were, get us back out of here. Or is that just me? Maybe that's just me. But Jesus didn't. Verse 30 says, Jesus asked him, saying, what is your name? And you know, everywhere I looked over this last few weeks while I was thinking about this and working through this, about why did Jesus ask him his name, I found the same answer. Jesus wanted to know what he was up against. Because remember the man answered, he said, uh, we are legion. But I wondered when I was reading this, I, I wondered who was Jesus talking to when he asked the question? Was Jesus talking to the demons? Or was he talking to the man? Now, everywhere I read says Jesus was talking to the demons, but, but I'm not saying this was doctrine. I'm just wondering myself, and I'm wondering out loud today. I see Jesus, everywhere he went, when he cast out demons in the past, he either told them to, if they started to talk, he shut them up. But in most cases, he never even allowed them to talk. So I wonder this day, why would Jesus, because all the commentaries say, Jesus wanted to know what he was up against. I wonder why would Jesus ask this demon? Why would he have a conversation with the demon? Who was the most important person there at the time? Why did Jesus come over the Sea of Galilee that day? He came to encounter the man, not the demons. So I think, actually, I think, my personal opinion is no, I'm not saying this is right, but I think maybe Jesus was talking to the man, not the demons. It's just a man was so bound up with demons that the demons answered. Because you see, the Jesus that I follow and the Jesus that I see in this word here is more concerned with me than he is with demons. 
And I know in that day, Jesus was more concerned with this man than he was finding out how many demons was in there. Do you know it didn't make any difference? Jesus cast them out anyway. Jesus wasn't wanting a conversation with these demons, these legion of demons. And I've heard it taught in the past that, that this is why if someone is, is casting out demons today, you need to ask them who is in there. Can I let you know something? You don't need to know. You don't need the devil speaking into your life. Amen. Amen. And if you ever find yourself in a situation where you're praying for someone who has demonic possession in them, believe you me, you don't need the demons to talk to you. Amen. Amen. Because it says faith comes by hearing and not hearing the word of the enemy. It says it comes by hearing the word of God. So you don't need to talk to demons. Amen. Amen. And Jesus didn't need to talk to demons that day either. It's just that this poor man was so bound up by demonic possession that they were the ones that spoke. But Jesus was much more interested in the man than he was the demons. Because it's Jesus' character to show love, respect, and kindness to the man rather than talk to demons. You know, the kindness of God wants to know your name. The kindness of God, the creator of the universe. He wants to know your name. He doesn't want to know your afflictions, the things you're bound up with. Yes, he's concerned with it, but he's taking care of it in Jesus. He wants to talk to you. Amen? That's why, you know, I think sometimes when we pray, we pray wrong. When we come into a a prayerful time, we don't need to come into a prayerful time with, with our Creator, our Daddy, our Abba Father, with our list of complaints. We don't need to Take our position in prayer and go, Oh Lord God, I'm so afflicted. I'm so, I have this problem and this problem. Lord, on and work. No. God already knows. The Word of God says that God already knows the things you need before you ask for Him. So when you come into a time of prayer, just, just worship God. Spend time with your Abba Father. Listen, parents, you know that if your kids needed something, you would much rather they came to you conversed with you, told you how much they cared for you and loved you and how glad they were that you were their parent rather than they coming in with a list of demands. Amen. God wants to communicate with you. But you know, sin sometimes drives us away from communication with God, doesn't it? Oh, I've no, after what I've done this week, I couldn't face God. Yes, you could. Oh, no, no, if you, if you knew what I did this week, God knows. And he's still running towards you. Amen? Amen. He still wants to know you. So Jesus cast out the demons, set the man free. And as this man is now sitting on the shoreline, probably on the side of the boat, clothed in his right mind, he asked Jesus a very reasonable question. He said, I want to go with you. Why wouldn't he? The people from his own area had rejected him. He'd been kicked out of his own home. Probably his own family or probably some of the ones who drove him out of town. They'd brought him down to the shoreline. They'd thrown him in around where the tombs are and they'd chained him up to the tombs. These were his neighbors, his friends, the people he went to school with. So when Jesus now had put him back into his right mind and he says to Jesus, I want to go with you. It was a pretty reasonable request, wasn't it? But verse 38 says that Jesus sent him away. 
Why? I think this is the only time in the Word of God where somebody wanted to follow Jesus and Jesus said no. Everywhere else I read of people following Jesus, they say, so following Jesus, did Jesus say, yeah, come on. Or Jesus called people to follow him, but not this guy. Jesus said to him, verse 39, he says, return to your own house and tell the great things that God has done for you. You know, everybody's calling the ministry is not the same. Some Jesus called to follow him. This man, Jesus wanted to go back to his own home, to his own community. The very ones who rejected him, the very ones who chained him up, mistreated him in the first place. And tell those people who hurt you, abused you, and rejected you, tell them what I have done for you. Verse 39 says, And he went his way, and he proclaimed throughout the whole city the great things that Jesus had done for him. This man, rejected by his family, rejected by his friends, his whole community, he went back into that very community and he told every one of them what Jesus had done for him. Did you notice that Jesus didn't first say, first go and learn how to evangelize. You need to sit into eight classes and we're going to teach you over these eight classes how to evangelize. He didn't do that. Nor Jesus didn't say, no, 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 before you do that, you need to go to seminary for four years and you need to sit under all these professors and you need to learn how to evangelize. You know, one of the greatest criticism religious people have about other ministries is how unqualified they are to share the good news with others. They think this because they haven't been properly trained or have the degrees behind their name that they're unqualified somehow to preach the word of God because they are, you know, they have all the qualifications. But when Jesus was looking for followers, he didn't head to the seminary. In this case, he headed to the cemetery. Jesus didn't bond a university to qualify his followers. He told you and I and that man that day, go with what you have. Tell everybody what I've done for you. And he did. Matthew chapter 14, we see where Jesus returned sometime later to the same place where he had encountered this man and set this man free. And it says in verse 34, it says, when, when they had crossed over again, they came to the land of the Gerasets. And when the men of that place recognized him, how did they recognize him? I mean, the first time Jesus was there, the men actually came from that area after he set the man free and said, please leave. But now he comes back sometimes later and they recognize him. They recognize him because the, the man who had been formerly possessed by the demons had told him about him. So when they recognized him, they sent him to all the surrounding regions and brought to him all who were sick and begged Jesus that they might only touch the hem of his garment. And as many as touched it were made perfectly well. You see, Jesus could have said to the, the man formerly possessed with the demons, he could have said to him, yeah, you know what? You've been so badly treated by these people. I see that they didn't even give you a stitch of clothes to wear. They put shackles on you. Change it up to the tombs. 
treated you worse than an animal. So come on, hop into the boat there and come with me. But Jesus didn't do that. Jesus sent him ahead of himself. He said, you go. Back to the people who mistreated you. Tell them exactly what I did for you. Because I'm going to come again in a few months or however long it was. And when I come again, these people are going to be ready to receive me. Receive hope, receive healing, receive salvation that I'm going to bring them. When Jesus encountered you and me, he encountered sinners, broken people, needing of a savior. And when we got saved, he didn't take us home straight away. Praise the Lord. He said, now you go. You tell people you encounter. Tell them all about me. Tell them what I've done for you. How you were bound up and I brought freedom. How you were sick and I brought healing. How you were broken and I fixed you. And I will come again. And when I come again, I want to bring salvation to them people. That's your job and that's my job. To bring the hope that we have been given into our communities. Into the sinners. Yes, the sinners that's out in our community. Our job is to bring the light of the world into their lives. Tell them all about Jesus. So that when Jesus comes again, he'll bring us all with him. Amen? Amen. Ephesians 2 and verse 8 says, For by grace you have been saved, true faith. This is not of your own doing. It is a gift of God. Not a result of works, praise the Lord. So that anyone may boast. Amen?